Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 105. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio, we have a returning guest, Sam Graff. Hey, Kip. So glad to be back. And it's great to have you back. And of course, for this conversation, we're going to be having another thought experiment similar to your last episode with us, in which we're going to discuss the idea of alternative genius. And at the time of this recording, which is early in our final semester of college, I was prompted to think of this as I see myself and other seniors, as well as other students returning to classes, struggle to readjust with the practices of being a student. And I've often found myself baffled by how unintelligent or incapable many individuals, myself included, but those around me as well, feel that they are in response to certain assignments or certain requests or even certain conversations. I think there is, at least in our society, a pressure to be intelligent, to be smart. And I think that extends to details of capability and what we are able to do in our world, what our potential is. And I don't think that's exclusively American culture, although we do have international listeners who I hope will correct me if I'm wrong. And that set me on a path to begin thinking about genius as a concept and not necessarily strictly intellectual. And there's that great Albert Einstein quote, which reads, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. And I agree with that quote on a number of philosophical reasons, and I suspect that critics who may be listening and shaking their heads and scoffing are those who have lived under very strict definitions of what genius and intelligence mean, and because of what they have suffered in terms of criticism of their intellectual capabilities or otherwise, they in turn perpetuate that negativity and belief that, no, there is in fact only one type of genius, you're either it or you're not, you have intelligence or you don't. And I think that's a very poisonous belief to have. And I know I've rambled on for a bit here. So I'd like to hear from you when I asked you to consider this rather abstract question. Where were the first places that your mind went? Well, being an undergraduate student at a liberal arts college, my first thoughts were analytical. I kind of sought to take the question apart and analyze what is really meant by genius and perhaps try and break down some of the presuppositions that we hold about it. And I would love to talk about those things, but I would love also to briefly touch on what you mentioned at the beginning of your remarks about students, peers of yours and mine coming to you and expressing a sort of a feeling of inferiority or a feeling of lack intellectually and academically. This is something that I have observed in myself and in other people a lot over the course of these past three years, probably the last seven, if I'm being honest. And I think that some of this feeling of inferiority can be attributed to the fact that we spend so much time at academic institutions learning from, reading the materials of, or experiencing the artwork of, the mathematics of, the philosophy of, etc. People that have been deemed genius and have been canonized as geniuses. So we have, in many ways, been forced, as the Albert Einstein quote implies, and as you yourself stated, to accept a very specific definition of genius that is centered completely around intellectual pursuits and the academic world. I think something that I have been very lucky to have experienced in my time, at least here at Kenyon, is introduction to people that are considered geniuses, but not necessarily for intellectual reasons. You find a lot of these, I think, in the area of music and perhaps the arts. There are a lot of people that are intuitive geniuses on a particular instrument, 
or with a particular craft in general, the craft of composing music maybe, or the craft of sculpture, film, sound engineering, what have you. And that recognition of the kind of intuitive geniuses in my field and in other artistic fields led me to question whether or not genius should be defined simply in intellectual and academic realms, as you also questioned, and also led me to the belief that I think a definition of genius could exist outside of those realms. Basically, the way that I began to come to conceive of genius as I was thinking through all of this is simply as an aptitude. This is a very broad and vague way to explain it, but just as an aptitude for a thing. And from this conception arise some interesting questions, such as, is genius born? Can genius be worked for? Is it something that comes with time and can be developed over time and with age and maturity? Or is it something that we either have or do not have? Can it exist by degrees? Well, in response to your question of the birth of genius and can someone be born into genius, can it exist in them from an infant state? I would respond with a resounding yes. I thoroughly believe that you can be born with genius. And in the context of everyone being a genius, let's say hypothetically for those who are still skeptical, I think that those who do not manifest genius have had it conditioned or bred or socialized out of them in some capacity because there are countless examples of the malleable and adaptive aspects of human psychology. And very unfortunate victims have been brainwashed or even on a less sinister level have been convinced that they aren't good enough, that they're worthless, that they don't deserve to pursue X or Y as a form of expression, whether it's artistic or intellectual or any other mode in which genius can express itself. And so I think that's the unfortunate side effect of a negative society or a negative culture mentality that we do tell people, you're not a genius, or in my very limited conception as a single individual, you don't meet my criteria for what genius is. And I think that's really sad because if there are in fact degrees of genius, then surely everyone would meet certain levels in their respective and perhaps far-flung areas of genius. But we have such narrow perceptions and desires as a society that we characterize those individuals, those groups of people, as non-genius. And I also think that genius has a moral component to it. We value those who we as a society deem have used their genius in a beneficial way, either for themselves or for the greater good. But I think there's an argument to be made, and a rather uncomfortable one at that, that certain political geniuses have existed historically, such as Joseph Stalin and various other dictators, or those we now describe as maniacal and evil because of what they were able to accomplish. But I do think that presents an example of ways in which genius can be abused. And unfortunately, for the sake of those that Stalin killed and affected in a very negative way, his genius was not stifled, and the environments in which he lived allowed him and others around him to take power through either his or collective genius. And there's another interesting concept that perhaps people in groups can be more genius than individual geniuses or than individual people who do not consider themselves to be genius. But in whatever route you would like to take, I would really value your insights on the relationship between morality and genius.
You make a very interesting point there. I think there's maybe an interesting semantic distinction to be made there, because as you've posited, there's a moral side to genius. But you also give the example of there being genius both in the ideas of Albert Einstein, let's say, and in the ideas of a fascist political dictator like Stalin, Hitler, whoever else. The interesting thing to me about those observations is that while the actions of the fascist dictator are, by the considerations of many, completely wrong and evil, and the consequences of Albert Einstein's scientific theories have been almost completely good and for the betterment of mankind, genius is present in both. So it seems like the genius is the element of it that is perhaps not moral, that perhaps exists outside of the moral considerations that we place upon the actions which are the manifestation of the genius. And for those listeners who feel uncomfortable with that similarity, the genius which unites those we deem as good and bad, I would ask that you sit with that discomfort and analyze its origins and not necessarily agree with us in what we are saying, but allow those ideas to dialogue with those that you already have going into a podcast episode like this. But I think it's really interesting that way of thinking about things. And I think it corroborates this idea that genius is not a good or a bad thing. It's not intellectual or academic. Genius is an ability to grasp something. It's, as I said, an aptitude. And in so being, can relate to anything and can have a relationship with any craft, any art, any even emotional capacity, let's say. And this, I think, gives rise to some really interesting questions and conceptions of people and aptitude and genius itself. How much of this aptitude do we all have? And what form does it really take? Are the individuals that we deem geniuses just people that have a large amount of aptitude concentrated in a single space in their brain or in their person, in their emotional capacities, mental capacities, etc.? Do we all possess the same amount, general amount of aptitude or of genius, as we could now say, but in some of us, is it more diversely spread out over the entire range of actions in which we partake? I really appreciate your distinction between that diversity or spread of genius as opposed to a metaphorical single peak or pillar. And I think, especially coming as you and I have from a liberal arts education, that a liberal arts genius, if I were to make that a term, would be someone who could unite the various areas of study that they chose or that they encountered in their educational experience. And I think similarly, the benefit of genius for those who may not consider themselves geniuses or for those who engage with a genius or the idea of genius is that if it isn't something which can be communicated, it may be null and void in many ways because genius to the non-genius or to the hypothetical admirer is so valuable because they can grasp vaguely at what is so awe-inspiring and almost otherworldly. And if geniuses choose lives of solitude, then in many ways their genius is lost to the rest of us. And so I wonder to what extent the genius can enjoy their own genius without sharing it or without making something of it. And that's not to say that everything you make or create must be shared. The actual definition, according to online sources, is that genius is an exceptional intellectual or creative power or other natural ability. And as I was thinking about this conversation and episode, 
I wondered to what extent cultural values and the things that we as people think are important allow us to see genius because you could contend someone is a genius at texting or at multitasking or at Facebook. They're amazing with social media, but because many of us see those as superfluous activities or non-essential to survival or one's own development, we wouldn't acknowledge that as genius. And I think that's a rather short-sighted and unfortunate perspective because genius, in my opinion, can also be very flexible. And so someone who is great at multitasking, perhaps, or at texting could have other potentially more culturally approved means of expressing that genius and multitasking could be used to help manage a company that needed someone to keep track of various balls in the air. And I think it's, again, a matter of our perspective of genius. I think that's absolutely right. And we see how this broader definition now has a very expanding effect on the way that maybe we look at people as a whole and in general. I think that we as humans are predisposed to comparing ourselves to the very ends of the spectrum of character and personality. We go for the extremes often because perhaps that's what's most entertaining, because that's what other people find most dynamic, that's perhaps what we feel is most liked by other people, or what we most like. But I think this alternative conception of the idea of genius in a way unravels that predisposition to align ourselves with the ends of the spectrum of human output, you could say. I think it's a very liberating thing to consider that the 18-year-old who's a fantastic texter and who has to keep 20 different conversations with friends going at all times and is able to delineate clearly between them all and focus on each one of them to a sufficient degree to actually be present in that conversation and be engaged with and contributing to it is perhaps just as impressive as you say, Kip, as the CEO of a company, or perhaps of a conglomeration of companies that has a wide number of things to think about at any one time, or perhaps that the genius that's present in, say, the physicality of a skateboarder is just as present in the performance of a new piece of choreography for dance, or the coordination of a drummer, let's say. So we have these parallels of genius across different fields of craft, of artwork, of intellectualism, of business, etc. We definitely do. And whenever people say of other individuals with whom they interact, I don't have much in common with them or I don't know how to relate to them, each of you surely has a particular passion or pursuit in the realm of which there exists genius, the pinnacle of that experience. And those two concepts could most certainly communicate and relate to one another. And I think that's something people should consider because a political genius of whatever moral standing they existed in could probably relate on some level to a choreographic genius or a mathematical genius because genius at its highest levels, I would say, is the ability to understand and deal with and manipulate very complex or high-level ideas. And of course, it is related to intellectualism to a degree, but I'm glad you mentioned physicality because there are certain artistic geniuses whose expressions can't be put into words. And as someone who loves words and language, I actually appreciate that because that's an area in which I'm challenged to express what I perceive, and I find that fascinating. I'd also like to hear, as social beings, what you think of the idea or the theory that I would put forward that someone could be an empathetic 
or an emotional genius because I believe some people are exceptional at reading the body languages of others, but also finding the appropriate responses to others' emotional states because sometimes all of us give very awkward responses when a friend is perhaps crying or expressing other sorrow. And I would love your thoughts there. I think that's a hugely underrated sphere of intelligence. And it's interesting, that's exactly what I was going to mention, because in your perhaps revised definition of genius that you just offered in those last comments, you mentioned the idea of relating oneself to high level or very complex ideas. It was in this idea of relation that I took the most interest, because I think that's what gets at what you are now trying to discuss, which is an idea of emotional genius. And I think emotion is very much the way that we relate to external and internal stimuli. It's the way that we choose to situate ourselves in relation to it. And I think that is an extraordinarily difficult thing to do well. And that gets back to your idea that while it's not necessarily intellectual or an academic pursuit, it's still a very complex thing and will be complex whether or not a person is able to name categorize and sort every action, micro action, body movement, and dart of the eye that goes on during a conversation. There's so much to be aware of. And even though we don't necessarily intellectualize those things, we are still perceiving them, we're still taking them in, and they are still exerting their influence on the way that we react. In my experience, it has been proven to me that there certainly are people that are able to, as you say, Kip, read the intention or the meaning of a person's words or communication. That is to say, not solely through the audible language that they use, the verbal language that they employ in order to communicate with you, but the body language that they use, perhaps even the tones of voice they employ in the communication of that verbal language. As we've both now said, there are innumerable, perhaps infinite, factors that go into analysis, be it conscious or subconscious, of these interactions and the creation of our emotional responses to those reactions. I think that those emotional responses are the product of immense amounts of stimuli and perception and also analysis. And analysis, in my perspective, is a keystone in this conversation, not only in how we analyze alternative forms of genius, but also in how we talk about genius itself. And we had mentioned morality earlier. I've been thinking as you talk a lot about the emotional relationship with genius and potentially emotional genius, that there is a duty of sorts which relates to genius and how we can encourage genius in other people. And on the side of those who believe they are or who have discovered their genius, I would argue there is a certain duty for them to share that genius with those who are willing to engage with it because genius can spread in a beautiful way and can inspire and enrich the lives of other people to sound idealistic, I know. And for parents or teachers out there who are describing to their children or those who look up to them certain genius like Homer or various artists and scientists who have lived in the past or who still live, I would encourage that they look not only at the products of genius, but at the nature of genius itself. Try to communicate and describe what made those people geniuses so that your students, your children, 
and for adults, your community members, your peers, can truly appreciate what qualities they might share, and I would argue do in fact share, with those geniuses. I think genius is something to be nurtured, and for those people who are independent and capable of nurturing themselves and encouraging themselves, that's why they often reach those levels, in my perspective. But if everyone in the world was told that they were a genius to some degree and in some specific field, maybe some people would be confused and would be given the wrong advice. But I believe that we would see far more confident and far more productive, in every sense of the word, people in the world. What do you think about that long diatribe of mine? I loved it, Kip. It reminds me of an anecdote that I'd like to share that relates to the psychology of knowledge and our relationship to knowledge and how it changes our abilities and also will kind of corroborate this idea that we all have some genius inside of us. And pardon my cliche that this genius can always be unlocked if we're able to kind of think about it the right way or conceive of it the right way. There was this guy named Randy Rain Rausch who was the husband of a visiting professor to the music department at Kenyon College. And he is a teacher of free improvisation, something that he's also called deep improvisation, which espouses the idea that any individual can, at any time, pick up an instrument that is unknown to them and play it as if it were a part of their body. I never had the privilege of taking a class on free improvisation with him, though I have had several conversations But two of my friends and peers did take a free improvisation, kind of an independent study with him. And they say that they have seen him pick up an instrument that he has never seen before or played before and play it as if it were his voice, as if there were no separation between himself and the instrument, which sounds perhaps somewhat mystical, but which I am as a musician and as a thinker, as a human, obliged to think is true and very possible. The idea present here is that in recognizing that we don't know something, we close ourselves off to the possibility of doing it correctly. So there's an interesting question of subjectivity at play here, but there's also, I think, a question of real ability. I think that our real ability on an instrument decreases when we believe that we don't know how to play it. Because to play an instrument well, one has to be confident about one's ability to do so. One has to be confident about one's connection to the instrument, to the body that's making the sound, and the connection of that body to one's own personal musical desires. And I think that one could certainly find parallels in other fields as well. Consider perhaps a poet that has never written poetry before decides to try it out and finds that they have a lovely way with words and a lovely poetic voice. Consider maybe an individual that has been placed in a position where they need to deliver a speech publicly and find that they have great comfort at the lectern delivering the speech. I think that this anecdote and these other ideas are a way for us to feel confident in our abilities to tackle the unknown in our day-to-day life. I think that's very beautifully said. And before we close the episode, as always, what are some things you would like our audience to think about after listening to this conversation? I suppose I would love it if our audience took some time simply to do what we've done, which is to say, ruminate on the idea of genius, think about the ways that it affects your life, the ways that it affects your conception of yourself, and whether the effects that it has on your conception of yourself are just or deserved, and perhaps think about ways that you could think of genius or even of the ability of humans 
to engage in any sort of task that would be more generous toward humankind than our current conception of genius is. I concur and would add that I hope people think about the play between morality and genius, not only in how we employ genius that we have, but in how we can encourage or potentially discourage the genius and those around us and what our role is as social beings in doing so. And Sam, thank you for coming on. It was great to have you. Thanks for having me, Kip. It's always a blast. But we are only two voices and we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between. So if you have any opinions, thoughts, feedback of any kind, please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook, where if you like our page, you'll receive weekly updates when we post new episodes. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to and reviewing the show, as well as sharing it with others you think might benefit from hearing this discussion. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.